Hey everyone, welcome back to Reality 2.0. I'm Catherine Druckmann. Doc Searles is back with us again this week and we are talking to Stephen Roberts. And I'm going to let Doc introduce Stephen, but before we get into it, I would like to thank all of our supporters again, particularly the ones who send us all the great emails and who pitch in on things like Patreon and coffee and that sort of thing. And we really appreciate it. And it keeps us, you know, it keeps us going. So thanks for that. So Doc, why don't you tell us a little bit more about why you invited Stephen on? Yeah. So Steve and I actually met and hung out uh, for a week, I guess, maybe it was longer on one of the Linux journal geek cruises back when there was still money in Linux and there was still money in publishing (laughs) and stuff like that. What Um, might that be like? (laughs) We could afford to actually, you know, have, have ships at sea, giant ones where we would have, um, you know, um, interesting people along in addition to Linux, you know, alpha Linux hackers. We had Linus on there, Andrew Morton, a number of other kind of famous Linuxy people. And, uh, you know, the guys who started MySQL, a bunch of things. Um, anyway, uh, Steve was one of those people. And it was, it, and it was somewhere um, after he famously went all over the country. I mean, what, like 16,000 miles on, on his computerized recumbent bicycle. We didn't put that in quotes because it was a gigantic geeky thing back when being mobile meant carrying hundreds of pounds of stuff around with you (laughs) and having long antennas and all kinds of stuff in the, this, in the digital age, but really in the very ancient digital age. And, and I think Steve, you're pretty famous for that thing. And then got into, you know, went from land to sea and you built the micro ship, uh, which is a trimaran and, um, uh, and total, you know, did an, an awful lot of writing about that. You had at least two boats after that, that I can see looking at your, at your, uh, at, at your website. And, and most interesting to me right now is that you're doing digitizing of things. Um, and I, I wrote a, um, a piece for Linux journal called the digital unconformity, which I'm into geology and unconformity is the unknown history between two layers, you know, like at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, there's a layer of Vishnu schist, which is from 1.7 billion years ago. And then about a billion years goes by. And then you have many, many more horizontal layers that tell you the West was flat for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but nothing, we know nothing about what happened in between. Now they think that snowball earth kind of erased mm-hmm. all of that um, by sort of, glaciers plowing everything that was recordable into the sea where it got recycled into um into trenches and things and that's the way i feel about digital everything like we could lose it all and but all of the analog stuff i have is also rotting and i want to digitize it mm-hmm. so that is that is that your business now is that what it is yeah it began when my i inherited about a couple boxes of eight millimeter films from my father and started researching what it was going to take to get them digitized and i didn't want them shipped off to some other country for cheap labor i didn't want them lost in the mail I, quality was highly variable i thought well no problem i'll just build a system to do this and then i'll ebay it when i'm done ha ah, um, turned into a labor of love and i started doing it for other people and have since added all the video formats and audio tapes and slides and negatives and you know it's turned into a an entire enterprise here so and i love it lots of tears most businesses that's a bad thing yeah so 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 give me the whole sweep of history i mean what what got you i mean you 
you must have stayed physically fit through all of this stuff because <laughs> you had to pedal, you know, a grizzly bear sized pile of stuff around the country for a long time. And yeah, I, but, I, people love the fact that I could eat 5,000 calories a day when I was on the bike trip. And unfortunately, <laughs> I, I kept doing that even when I stopped riding the bike. So that, that was a, a bit of an adjustment, but I got over that. But um, no, I, I spent about a decade wandering the country on a computerized recumbent, three versions of it. Uh, the final one was Behemoth, the big electronic human energized machine, only too heavy. Uh, and it's now in the Computer History Museum down in Silicon Valley. Great place for it. Wonderful people. That's and, perfect. Uh, and then somewhere in there, I just, you know, I wasn't, I was kind of done with the road, but I wasn't done with being a nomad. So I started thinking, well, no problem. I'll just port this to water. How hard could it be? And, you know, even though water corrodes and salt water corrodes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it was, it was, it was, the problem was I had all this, I put lots of time into building all the technology. Um, and then it sat while I started building the boat. So when it came time to integrate them, the technology was all kind of obsolete. I went through a few iterations of that. Um, but um, anyway, never really did a big microship expedition like the bikes, but um, it was a marvelous adventure building it. And then, like you said, I had two bigger boats after that, a 44-foot steel sailboat, which I cruised in the Northwest for a while. And uh, then, oh, you know, the old saying, a sailboat, trawler, motorhome, rest home. <laughs> I went I, to the dark side, and now I live on a fifty-foot power boat. So, so are you are you living on a boat now? Is that happening? You are okay, and, and but it's a power boat this time. It's not a sail or. Yeah, or... I'm embarrassed, but yes, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> At least it's not pedal powered. You know? Right. <laughs> um. So, uh, you've had a lot of experience with obsolescence. Um. Yes. And so so what insights have you gained about that over successive generations of building things that took years to build and parts of it are already old by the time you're done with it? I'm wondering. Hmm. Um, I have a hard time letting things go. I have a lot of old stuff. Would you like some? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how to answer that. I, I, uh, I, I'm always drawn to the, to the shiny new cool stuff, but at the same time, I'm fascinated by all of our history. So, you know, the trend, what that all translates into is massive amounts of tonnage. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and now I feel like I'm trying to disassemble a mountain with a pair of tweezers, but, um, it's been, um, I, I'm trying to find homes for a lot of the, the old things. Are the, are, are the boats, uh, I've heard another old saying is, for people for aquatic type people um for mariners and is that the two happiest days of your life are when you get the boat and when you get rid of the boat uh yes. and <laughs> so i'm wondering That's if you if you've successfully gotten rid of the, the 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 at least three boats that i can count that you've had no i still have the microship and that that's annoying because that was the one that was oh close to a decade of work and uh you know some serious engineering went into it 160 corporate sponsors, you know, 40 something volunteers hired a fiberglass guy for a couple of years. You know, it was a, it was a big project. They even built a 3000 square foot building in the Camino Island forest just to have a place to build it after Apple donated the building for two years. And before that UCSD. So, you know, a lot, it was a long process and I still got it. It, it turns out that small little micro trimerans make terrible shelves, but that's basically what it's doing right now in my shop. It's, 
this beautiful machine. It's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's an unlevel shelf for stuff. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, it's a terrible shelf. I mean, it's like a big bin with you know curved surfaces on top, and it's covered with crap. So that's that's annoying. But uh, I'm hoping to find some young wannabe technomad, brilliant pup who will take it and go do something interesting with it. Yeah. Any of our viewers uh, want to go? Have it, a great event well, do we have a link directly to it? Or uh, I could do that. <laughs> Okay. This is still float. That's a, that's a oh, first. Yeah. Uh, it'll float. Yes. Okay. It's in, yeah, it's in excellent shape. So the and fiberglass doesn't rust as much as other things, right? No. So, and it's yeah. pedal solar and sail power, and you know the electronics it was designed for it is kind of irrelevant. That doesn't define it. It's just there's no point in anybody using that. But the boat itself is fine. The, the deployable landing gear and all kinds of geeky nautical things. It's nautical dementia. The whole thing. It's the, the sickness. <clears throat> So, okay. So <laughs> right now you're, you're into digitizing all kinds of stuff. So what, yes. what are, are your, your clients? I think, oh, you've got, you've got, I mean, when I look at what I've got, I've got, um, in addition to stills, slides are a big one for me right now. I've been duplicating slides by taking an old slide projector. I found a carousel projector and I, project those on the whitest wall I can find and then shoot them with a, with a 35 millimeter on a, on a tripod. And it comes out remarkably well considering mm -hmm. that there's gotta be a better way. So yes. uh, let's start with those. I mean, what, what do I do with the um, cubic foot of, of slide boxes that I have? Well, a lot of people use slide scanners and they can be really nice, but they're super slow. The workflow is about three minutes each. So that yeah. completely yeah. Doesn't, doesn't scale. So I have a big Kaiser copy stand back in that lab and a, and a mirrorless uh, Sony A7 III camera. And it's tied to an M1 Mini with Lightroom. And basically we just shoot really fast and capture all those with a high accuracy color backlight. And then I have a person who's a wizard at Lightroom who goes through and does basic color grading and editing and stuff to uh, turn them all into beautiful files. So the client ends up getting three file systems, raw, the exported high-res JPEG, and some digital contact sheet. Basically, oh, that's cool. yeah, so, that's and, nice. and, what, and what's the resolution again on that uh, when you're getting a, a raw? The, uh, the, the sensor is 26 megapixel. I can't remember. The raw files are oh, that's good. Okay, that's good. That's a lot. Way wow. down into the grain. So more, more than needed. <laughs> yeah. Do you do... Okay, so I'm curious about something. I mean, so I have here back there, you can't, there you can't see them. Uh, and for those of you who are visually impaired, which is all of our audience, because we're not, we can see each other here. But we, but we, you're not seeing this. If you, if you look at your, look at your phone or your computer, but I, I'm a Canon guy who recently became a Sony guy. And, and the friend who gave me the Sony camera that I'm using, it's a Sony mirrorless uh, A7R said, can you make the Sony have the soul of the Canon? Because the way oh, they saw it, Canon, yeah. Canon sensors have more soul than Sony has. And I've looked at both and I, and I see what she's talking about, but I yeah. don't know what that is because Interesting. it's, so I'm wondering if you have a similar, I know there's a difference. Sony has the one kind of sensor and, and actually Nikon uses it. Almost everybody uses Sony sensor, at least they used to. And Canon makes its own CMOS, uh, but do you know what the difference is? And and does that also show up in the scanning? I don't. And the thing is, if I was using it as a field camera, like you know, friends who swear by their Nikon D850s or whatever, if I was mm -hmm. thinking of it as a camera I was out in the world with, 
I would have a whole different feeling about this, but I want it to be as transparent as possible. You know, I don't want to yeah. introduce any flavor because my job is to digitize people's history, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't, you know, I can't see anything in the results that put a stamp of, you know, equipment vendor anywhere, you know. And we yeah. do, we also do negatives, by the way. It's exactly the same process. But the worst thing is when people show up with these binders. Remember those old uh, cardboard sleeves with the plastic pages over them and the photos would stick mm -hmm. to the. I paper. have, I have many of those. And, and yeah, me, me too. They're dreadful. <clears throat> and I always hope that people can find the box of negatives somewhere, but so many of them got tossed. But, you know, the negative, like the slides, the negatives were the film that was actually in the camera and the prints or who knows what photomat random paper, you know. So it's the same problem. I mean, some, most of the time, we're just trying to recover the best quality we can from these uh, ancient treasures. And sometimes they are amazing. Also, the other thing is all the film variations. But when you start getting really far with the old uh, Ektachrome E2 stuff, remember that back in the 50s when now it's all really red and, and faded? Uh, it uh, amazes me how much color you can actually get out of those, but it turns into a, turns into a project. <laughs> there was the way back when um, Kodak, uh, at Kodachrome, you could get, I mean, the, the 25 ASA Kodachrome was beautiful. And then still, the Ektachrome had a higher ISO or higher ASA. It was generally like 100 or 125. Right. And um, and the Kodachrome looked better, though you could shoot, you know, you had more flexibility with the Ektachrome. And I have piles of both. I mean, I, I have both of those represented in this in this thing. But the, the the reds and the long wavelength stuff looked better in the in the old uh, in the old uh, the old Ektachrome, uh, the old uh, old Kodachrome. Yeah, None of which is made anymore, is it? I don't think any of those are made. There is, there's, I haven't gotten into that. You know, I'm thinking of starting a little simple lab service, not for enlarging or anything, but basically just for processing. There's still film available uh, from some place. Mm. I'm not sure who does it, but there's a, there's a subculture that's into it. Uh, mostly have, dealing with old stuff, so it hasn't come up. But, uh, I have somewhere a box of maybe 30 or 40 rolls of unexposed um, uh, Kodachrome and Fuji film in somewhere in California. I don't know where it is. It's in there are labs that do that. And yeah, but I've, I've, there are no pictures on them, and I don't have a camera that does this anymore. So I think I give it to somebody who still shoots film and oh, have right. fun with yeah. it and see what happens. You know, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe I'll send them to you if I ever find them. Okay. I, yeah, yeah, those people will buy it for sure. It's a it's a treasure. Yeah, there's a, there's there's a market for that. So with um, that's interesting. You do uh, that you do um, that you want the negatives. In my case, I actually have negatives in sleeves, ah. and they're sorted. A lot of them, not all of them. I kind of gave up at a certain point, but I have them. You know, and they are dated. All of them yeah. are dated, and uh, that's rare. The only thing I'm anal about. Any in my entire life is is photography, um, nice. you know. But but what's happening? I wonder if your thoughts on this are. I mean, what's happening with photography, um, especially with the younger generation, is it's all disposable. It's 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 part of the now. It's not archival, and and so much of it happens in these things. I'm holding up an iPhone. This is an iPhone 11. It's not even. It's like two generations back, or two versions back. But this, I, I was in a, 
this wonderful bar in Baltimore um, last weekend, and there was a the Baltimore Hot Club was playing there. Eight eight or ten musicians, mostly on guitars, but just playing Django Reinhardt type jazz. Mm -hmm. And I recorded some of this with with this, and Apple doesn't tell you this, but it records in stereo. One oh. mic is here, and there's a little dot in here, and that's a mic, and it's remarkably good. And mm -hmm. earlier, I recorded something for a friend, a video, a friend who was late in life, and I, um, and I recorded it this way, vertically, out on the deck of my apart the apartment I was in in New York. And there's a cardinal whistling over here, and there's traffic over there, and people inside saying stuff. And I still got stereo this way, and I don't know how the hell they did it. I'm listening to it, and it's like, no, yeah, the cardinal is over there. Yeah. And so, oh, wow. so it, and the thing is that, and the camera in this thing is so not bad and does many mm -hmm. forms of stuff that I can only do in post-production and, you know, and it's, and it's way ahead. I mean, Canon and Sony and Nikon and Fuji and the rest of them can't keep up with this in a, in a, in the vernacular of the way people shoot. Mm -hmm. And yet the art of photography is still there. So what if you have any insights about what we're going through right now with all of well, this? You know, I know we've all had our personal dark ages. In, the, in my case, there were a couple. The moment was textual, but the, photographically, you know, I was shooting slides for years and years. And I got so excited when the first digital cameras came out. Remember those dreadful old 640 by 480 and oh, yeah, 320 by 240 things? And of course, you know, like every, you know, oh, new, shiny. You know, and I jumped into that. And now these things are, I've still got folders of them on my computer. They're like thumbnails of, you know, little. Yeah, yeah. And so what, what happened as a result of that is three or four years of just no good photos. You know, and it's just like the days when we, we kept everything on floppies and then they gradually sat, sat in boxes. But somewhere in there, we stopped making carbon copies of letters sent by a typewriter. And things. So there's another dark ages there of lost information. And it's funny because a lot of the, what we're doing now is extracting that for people. You know, the, that happened a lot with, um, oh, you know, the transition from film to video. I, I noticed I do a lot of old home movies, you know, 8 and 16 millimeter. It's just some of it is amazing history from the 30s and, and 40s. And with, with film, people were really, it was a precious, beautiful new tool. And people were very selective about what they chose to shoot. You know, it was expensive and, you know, you thought about making a movie, right? And then when the video cameras came around, you know, it's like, okay, the entire soccer game while chatting with the person next to you, you know, that sort of thing. Or, you know, an entire kid's birthday party. So in a way, it's really nice having the sound and lots more of the material, except the raw quality of that material got a lot worse. So sometimes old movies are, are better just because it was something that people really focused on, so to speak. And I see that happening with cameras. I mean, like you, I have a, you know, I have a, smartphone every day is documented i've got you know every mood of my cat you know <laughs> so yeah 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 you know and then we look back in time it's like oh yes the, the three photos from from 1982 they're really precious so anyway it's um it's fun seeing that transition <clears throat> yeah so i wonder if this is the dark age of any future time in some mm. way maybe we're not it's not that transitional i think at least not, not technically i think we're sort of at a Perhaps mm -hmm. it's some kind of a, some kind of a, a weird plateau. I think we're in a um, disinformation dark age, but that's a completely yeah, different that, topic <laughs> right. for another for another <laughs> podcast. It's the 
it's the age of deep fakes, right? Yeah. You know, and and things like that. I mean, that's a uh, of 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 misapplied or or evilly applied uh, AI and yeah and all that and all that kind of stuff. Um, so so tell us, okay, the, the listeners can't see. What is it that's behind, that's behind you, or is it just decorative? Oh, yes, no, <laughs> that's that's the wall of stuff for uh, audio and video work. There's a hundred. I just added 144 terabyte NAS. The fact that wow. I can even say those words just kind of blows my mind. Um, and um, and then there's a, a big Motu stack for routing all the audio. And then there's uh, I do all my video stuff with uh, component levels. So there's a time-based corrector and a tectronics analyzer and so on. So all that stuff back there is doing video recording and there's a couple of digitizers up there. And then over that way is some other video decks and things. So I can do Umatic mm. and Cam SP and of course VHS and Betamax just finished a big job of that. Uh, and wow. even video disc. And then also a reel to reel. Very well, there's a big uh, Otari deck up there for doing. Uh, mm. I see it. And um, so. And then there's two other workstations. I'm not as if you don't mind the disruption of moving the phone around here. Sorry. Um, this workstation is for the films. Wow. So that that big beast is doing uh, eight millimeter and sixteen millimeter movie reels. And and that goes to two K. You were saying in your in your blog, or uh... yes, I basically shoot every frame at two K, and then it builds this massive data structure and then we export from that to video files so people end up getting thumb drives you know basically uh wonderful because then they can they're cheap and can be sent out to family and backed up and we still have access to every frame and in many cases that's really nice especially 16 millimeter where the individual frames are actually really nice quality when when you when you finish one reel for example do you then especially if the reel isn't labeled in some way other than it's just here's a box or here's a reel do you then like take a, a still image of that saying this goes with this file so you know what the hell it was yes i make thumbnails and also i keep an old-fashioned uh, binder with pages for for all the projects so I'm, I'm keeping notes there just because i yeah, ironically, don't trust all the tech stuff, uh, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, and everything is, and then numbers are tracked on the reels themselves, so that we can get back to the source easily, uh, you know, just in case. So. so here's a weird and interesting job, as it were. Um, I'm very tempted to hire you, by the way, on this thing. Uh, back in the late '80s, my sister and I had my mother and father's entire eight millimeter and super eight and earlier 16 millimeter movies that they started shooting in Alaska, the 16 millimeters in Alaska in the forties, early forties or maybe the late thirties. And then the, uh, the rest of it, all my fa our family stuff roughly from 1947 to 1963. Mm -hmm. And, and then we, we had them all dubbed to VHS because uh, yes. that's what we had at the time and by a pro, pro shop in Palo Alto. Kept and the then what's that you kept the originals i hope yes we did absolutely oh, have them all um <laughs> and then we took those and in pretty much chronological order they were they were put end to end because i gave them and gave them to the shop in chronological order i, I had knew that roughly the dates on these and then recorded on cassette 
my mother, you know, giving a color commentary on this thing. Good. So yes. I have a cassette somewhere. Mm -hmm. I have like a cubic yard of cassettes, but they're in little slots and they're, they're, they're somewhat, or they're, they're at least separate and they're, they're in our, what would have been a wine room, but turned into a storage room because that's what happens. And um, at our house in Santa Barbara, which is not where we're at, but anyway, it's there. So I have those. But I think that the the VHS stuff is useless because I'm going to get the best I'll get off of that is is 640 by 480, right? Yeah. So the thing I should do with that is find the cassettes, find the reel to find the find the reels of reels, and I mean keep them separate. I mean ideally I could coordinate them, but that might be too hard. But but have you? <laughs> mm -hmm copy off these eight millimeters because they're pretty they're all pretty good as archival stuff i think mm -hmm. you know and i looked at what you had like from your dad in new york in like 1948 or something mm -hmm. like that which looks very very ancient and was when i was already a year old <laughs> so, and and you know toddling toddling about you know or suckling about five miles from where those photos were shot <laughs> I would love to. I, I just did some uh, 1945 and 1946 stuff from Montana for a client and it included, oh gosh, just so much history and, and it was 16 millimeters. So it was just fantastic. But some of those glimpses into the past are just irreplaceable. You know? uh, there's, there's so little of it. So yes, I'm really glad you kept the original. You wouldn't believe how many stories I've firsthand had to deal with where Oh yeah, well we put it all on VHS and then got rid of the film because it was starting to mold and it was like God oh, no because so much yeah. of that just wasn't captured, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. So so there's so there are these other for for audio. I mean we have uh, besides cassettes, I've got the little Sony mini discs that which is their ad track. Mm -hmm. They're like a special. They actually kept the the things you play them with and record them with. Oh, nice. I have that. I don't know if you can get the rod of that. Um, I have a massive amount of interviews that I did with people during the whole time, 24 years with Linux Journal. Wow. Um, they're on micro, you know, uh, micro cassettes on, yeah. on these Sony things on, on cassettes. It's like, uh, and I've got open reels too. I've got lots of those from when I was in high school especially you know, many, yeah so but you can copy off all that stuff yes it all just yeah. goes to mp3 about a megabyte a minute roughly yeah cd quality mp3 yeah is there a growing market for this i mean do you think i mean or do you watch this is there are you a member That's, of a cabal that cares I mean, about these kind of things i've been to a couple <laughs> of groups of, of people who do this sort of thing yeah it's, i don't think it's going to go away in my lifetime because you know everybody every family has the the stuff in the attic, um, you know, unfortunately, or hopefully, and where it's, where it's 900 degrees, but <laughs> a lot oh, of the time. God, I, uh, a guy came in last year, he's about 90, and um, and he had two reels uh, in, in cans, and it took tools to get into them. This is not helpful at all. And <clears throat> I opened it up, and it reeked of vinegar, which is a chemical breakdown of the substrate of vinegar syndrome, bad. And he's just, you know, he's standing there saying, I hear you can watch these. I don't know, this is going to be bad. And I mounted it on the machine and the dust is coming off and it's all crinkly and oh, everything. And suddenly, suddenly there it was on the screen, him in 1937 in the backyard in New York with his little sister 
and it was just the sweetest damn thing. And I turned around and looked at him. Tears are just streaming down his cheeks. Wow, wow. Like it just felt so incredibly worthwhile. And you know, now he can send it off to his kids and grandkids. Now it's suddenly set free from these dying. So in spite of the of the vinegar decomposition, it was still that's good. Is it that's better like the like the nitrate movies from the teens and twenties? Yeah, there's uh there are people who have been recovering those. I've done. I've not done any of that. I can't handle 35 millimeter film yet. But that's that, that's just an add-on to this if it ever comes up. So do, do you handle three-quarter inch or two-inch videotape? Uh, I can. I can do Umatic and Betacam SP. I don't have two-inch capability, but I, yeah, have a I don't think anybody does. Yeah, I do have a friend in Seattle who can do half-inch and kind of basically everything so you know if i need somebody to do something i can't then i can't it's been funny learning you know this is it's so analog i'm so used to having control over my entire informational environment but it was quite an adjustment to realize that every time i think i know what i'm doing something throws me a curve so like mini dv is the example you know it's beautiful digital oh god yeah i have those yeah they're great i do and and, and high eight that's the other one yes high eight well, the thing is, somebody brought in some mini DVs and I just couldn't make them work. And it turned out that they were mini DV HD, which is actually good. They were 1920 by 1080, gorgeous high definition stuff right at the end of the mini DV era. But they also, a lesser known variant that existed for a while was LP, long play. And they managed to get 90 minutes out of each of these. And they were so fiddly that one vendor's tapes wouldn't play on another vendor's recorder. It was just a complete disaster. So somebody had about 20 of those and I had to, it turns out I had to add multiple old camcorders in order to play ancient mini DV long playing variants. And, you know, so you you actually had the, you couldn't, you didn't have a deck for doing this. You had to go to the actual camcorder that recorded this in the first place or one like it. Right. And hope that it hadn't rotted. Right. I have, yeah. a, I do have a professional mini DV deck, but I had to get a camcorder just to handle the long play version. They're like, like VHS uh, EP, you know, that awful stuff. It's that, that idea, you know, <clears throat> getting lucky, you can get 90 minutes instead of 60 minutes, buy our product, and, you know, but oh, by the way, it'll be impossible to play 20 years from now. <laughs> so. Right. Well, I, I have a friend of mine and I have, uh, but mostly me, he had the deck, but mini DV and a high eight uh tapes right and um and i had to have well his mini dv deck fixed by the one place in the country that fixes them apparently they're in chicago called royal mm-hmm. something sent it to them is about 500 bucks and um the thing is noisy as hell still doesn't work very well but it does work some of the time and um and fortunately i have an older mac that will drive it has the device drivers in it nice this one i'm talking to under the 2017 mac doesn't do as good a job as the like 2013 mac that has that has ancient drivers in it but still kind of knows what that thing is um but with the camcorder all it's just got component out it doesn't have uh you know so and i don't know what to do with that component or composite is it the the yellow yellow oh it does have it does have the yellow um it might have composite. I mean, it, it has the the yellow, the, the two stereo, right, yeah, plugs. Okay. There's RCA. And then the third one, that's the video. But I think it also has a, a special Sony connector. Of course, right. it would be a special Sony yes. connector. Yes, video, of course. Oh, it's the yes video. Yeah, it does have that. It does right. have that. 
that's marginally better. And I like doing and, and it and it got fixed by the same outfit for like a lesser amount of money, but still some amount of money. And right. I haven't but I don't know how to get that into the computer exactly. That's that's not too painful that for that I use these <laughs> kind of digitizing tools that I have a hyperdeck mini studio here. Wow. Is it? There's a vacuum tube in that thing on the right, isn't there? Oh, yes, yes. This is the uh, uh, the tectronic video analyzer. So this lets me look at, at the color vectors and the signal quality and things like that. And then this is very essential. It's a time-based corrector, and it fixes all kinds of garbage, especially in uh, VHS and some of the some of those formats. And what's the, the the big screen on your right? That that's like an oh, old. Yeah, this is a Sony monitor. And, and it's this... a it's a Trinitron of some sort, I suppose, yep, right? Sure is. Yeah. Wow. And then this is specific to mini DV. The JVC, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, ver I'm verbalizing this for the people who are not seeing it, which is everybody. Um, and that's all Motu stuff. Fantastic. So anything can connect to anything. So I've got a, a big matrix of audio there. And let's see what else. This gets all typical network things and the, the big NAS. Oh, and, and there's, then, yeah, there's Crown, which used to make these really great. Uh, and amplifiers, the, and then over in the the video department here, that's the the U-Matic and the Betacam, and that's an eight millimeter deck right there that uh, does uh -huh. uh, um, com component. <clears throat> and then the and you uh, have your your LP player there. I saw you know which has a for for playing vinyl. Sorry, deck. Nice. That's a couple of dedicated camcorders for those variants I just mentioned in mini DV. So. The stuff breeds. <laughs> so that so the Sony VHS deck there, or is that a Sony Beta deck that I saw back uh, there? Sorry about waving this around like crazy. Which one? The, 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 the yeah, that one. I think this that one. This is marvelous. Yes, this is the twenty one hundred. I think it is the the Betamax deck, and uh, this one's really much much sought after. It's component out, and I just finished forty two tapes of uh, old car racing from the eighties and nineties. Wow. On 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 Sony Betamax, the beta. uh, yeah, wow. beautiful quality. Even the Beta Two and Beta Three is uh, nicer than the VHS equivalent. Mm -hmm. In it in their day, which uh, yeah. the wrong the wrong one won, and then they both lost anyway. Yeah, wasn't it? Because, yeah, I think the beta battle was because it would handle uh, the full length of a Super Bowl. It was a slightly longer. Or, sorry, VHS was a longer recording, so that's that's what won the fight. <clears throat> that was their their marketing argument for a while as so you could get record longer events on a tape so buy ours yeah yeah well it's <laughs> this is the this is the history of tech right the, the the better one usually loses in some way whatever that is right uh <laughs> wow so so here you've got um i, I realize we're we're making a great infomercial for you here <laughs> that wasn't I feel like, actually the intent but yeah. i feel like we need to snip out some of this video too just because we're going to have a little companion link somewhere we'll oh, see. Well, yeah probably walking around waving the camera was really disruptive but <laughs> to show you some toys. Uh, it's all good we uh, will well yeah we'll see so for people who have Lots of this archival stuff sitting in an attic or a garage, but haven't come around to take, uh, you know, harvesting your services or others like them. What's your advice to them for how they should save this stuff? 
Oh, you mean the just the storage? Yeah, I mean it's obviously the guy with 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 the vinegar movie. You know, <laughs> having it in that can was probably not the best thing for it, right? I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. 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 Not just not hot or cold or wet. Oh my god! I mean, I've had stuff that's been in I don't know basements or something. I don't know where it's been, but heavy mold and <clears throat> uh, growth where water has wicked in between layers of the film reels and you know amazing graphics and it's really. Really interesting oh yeah i bet yeah <laughs> yeah water is water is bad water is the oh. enemy of of everything yeah. I, mean, I mean you found that out with boats i guess right that yes that, i mean you, you want something that floats on something that hates it floating right that's kind of the idea yeah and it's you know it's i think of it as aqua regia you know especially salt water so mm -hmm. that uh, that that comment earlier about water corrodes salt water corrodes absolutely is it just changes everything when doing system design. And it's such a subtle process that you just think, okay, everything's fine. You know, my, my piano is doing great. All this equipment is fine. But over the course of years, you suddenly notice a little bit of corrosion and things. And, uh, it's, it's a challenge. But you know, they, it's not difficult to keep this stuff safe just within normal human comfort range and you know, not hot, not wet. You know. Um, but it's good. I mean, the thing is, it's all slowly degrading and it's just a good idea to get it done because then it's backed up. That's the other thing. It's like, you know, all those other details aside, it's, it's like the fundamental error in any information management. There's only one copy. You know, if you've got just your reels, if your house burns down, well, that's the end of that history. And, and I've run into multiple situations where people have died and their stuff just ends up either taken to the dump or taken to a thrift store as you know, vintage movies or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, we had a client a few weeks ago brought over about roughly 40 little three-inch eight millimeter reels, but also four larger 16 millimeter cans. And they were really excited to get this family history. So I did some and sent them some sample files and they said, well, I don't know who those people are. And they sent them around to the other people in the family. Nobody had any idea who it was. And the conclusion was that mom who was kind of a pack rat, probably picked him up at a rummage sale, thinking they'd be cool to cool to do something with someday. And over the decades, family history became, okay, this is our stuff, you know, but it actually wasn't. And so I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's really nice to get things unlocked from those, uh, from those old formats and shareable with kids. In other words, backed up offsite. So it's 50 years from now. Mm -hmm. All of us are, or all two of us are dead. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll be dead too. Right <laughs> Put it that yeah, way. No, two of us are dead. Um, I, yeah, no, all three. Yeah. <laughs> but but my, my point though is, is it so where, where is this stuff? I mean, so what, how is it saved? Is it on, obviously it has to be on physical media. What is the physical medium? What do we save this on? If you put it in the cloud, you start paying for the cloud, it's gone. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I sometimes deliver things via cloud, but I mostly give people thumb drives and then just tell them to just keep up with, you know, whatever comes out 20 years from now or 10 years from now that's just way better, copy it over. You know, it's because they're just MP3s or, you know, MP4s or whatever, uh, you know, and, or JPEGs. Or, I mean, it's just normal file formats to us now, but 50 years from now, that's going to be something else but there will be transitional periods when people can take these things and, mm. and at, the, at that point copies shouldn't be lossy and you know i generally say keep all the originals because you know as much as we think we're state-of-the-art right now who knows what better techniques will come out right so you know sometimes yeah way but that's i don't advise it 
there's a um, a product from again it, it's well we're not on an open source show it's a proprietary product from a company called Topaz that oh, has some AI that I use it. I, I I have this stuff that I shot with a in 2010 a whole bunch of stuff with a crop frame Canon 30D mm-hmm. um, and it it has it does amazing stuff i mean it just takes takes the grain out of there sharpens it up without having it look artifacty gets rid of a lot of artifacts it's pretty amazing what some mm-hmm. of this stuff can do um much better than what adobe has which surprised yeah. me that the, the hard thing for me is is um is it is is basically it's uh it's how I catalog an archive and, and speed that up. There's a, for photography, 90% of what I do is 99% is photography and, um, and it's still photos. And they're, uh, I mean, I, I hate Apple's um, oh, iPhoto. 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 I, I don't want it telling me what my memories are. I don't want them guessing at anything. I don't want them. Like, uh, and none well, of that. And, and it's their internal file system too, which is it's not- horrible. It's it's so abstracted and so um, meta. And oh my god! So what? But Adobe isn't Adobe's better, but there's no quick way to do this. You want to rename everything in the Finder. There's a wonderful tool that came out in the aughts, I think, called iView Media Pro. Microsoft bought it, made it Expressions Media, and they abandoned it in like 2013. Capture One picked it up, created a whole new file format for it, but it worked exactly the same way. I don't know why they did that, but mm. there's a new suffix for it. And I stuck with the Microsoft One. All of it is 32-bit. None of it's going to work on a new Mac. Mm. And so I'm in an old Mac. I'm, I'm here probably for the duration because I can't get along without that program. Yeah. And... And I don't see, I haven't written a piece yet that's like, you know, my my SOS, my appeal from my my desert island here saying, please, somebody do this. Here's, here's, here's the list. Here's the specs. Here's what it does. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and people say, well, this Adobe thing will do this. That'll do that. But it's, you know, a guy at Apple told me there's actually a tool Apple has for quickly cataloging, renaming things into Finder that was abandoned years ago, but it's still around and it's good, but I forget the name of it. And I looked at it briefly and it's not that easy. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean the stuff that we've been doing with the phone, at least we've got the, the AI and Google, I use Google Photos, you know, and I'm surprised at how often it manages to find something I'm looking for, but mostly I do everything with, with file naming conventions on my Mac. My giant archives are all searchable that way, but Mm. it's inconsistent over the decades and it's you know it's as much as i do for other people i haven't caught up with my own well this um, is the risk right yeah yeah you know one of the uh, one of the issues here is, is is metadata loss of metadata you know so like you know you you send me a box of slides or something like that well there's information just in their proximity to each other the way things are grouped you know the the dates on the sleeve, you know, whatever, whatever you do, notes, of course, that you made. And so I try to capture all of that stuff with the way we build file systems and things, but it's different every time. You know, we can't just send you a bunch of images back, serial numbered from, you know, one to N, because now the metadata is all gone, right? So capturing that from a collection is sometimes a challenge. 
when collections have spanned decades of somebody's life and lots of different tools. Um, so, so here's another thing too, is that, and this is a, basically a, a memory, a memory issue when you're dealing with a totally vertically integrated company like Apple. So they have this thing called voice memos, which actually does a good job if you're going to record stuff. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. The, the actual, the name that you give, whatever it was, is metadata. It's not attached to the file itself. It's somewhere else, right? Oh, and it's yeah. remembered by some, some program, right? And, right? and if you want to, you know, and, and what it does is because it keeps a copy of this not only on your computer, but on it keeps it on your on your phone. Uh-huh. But if you want to get rid of it on your phone, you can't just transfer it to the computer and it's done because it wants to keep that metadata for both those locations. You can only throw it away. But if you want to copy off, like drag and drop away the actual files, none of that metadata is there. You'll have right. to manually rename it and, and apply new metadata to it. I have Same thousands. Yes, the Google Photos is really annoying people now, or people like me who want to pull it out of there and stick it in the Synology photos or something. The metadata is separate, and there's no Re- reason. Yeah, the, the, this is deeply yeah. wrong. They, they think of putting the data in the actual file as like destructive editing or something like that, but it's not. It's actually useful. You should put it right there in the EXIF you know, yeah. f- f- file. You've got all this metadata that's embedded in the actual file, yeah. right, in the EXIF. There should be there. It should be there. It should not be somewhere else. You know. Well, it's but, like it's like photo descriptors written on the sleeves of a thirty-five millimeter slide rather than on a typewritten piece of paper in the same box. You know, exactly. That's that's, that's exactly what it's like. Perfect perfect analogy because I have those for tapes. <laughs> I have those for. I don't have them for slides. The slides, the boxes of the slides are labeled, but. Yeah. Um, I did a three ring binder for all my videos once and then misplaced the binder. And I was like, damn it. You know, so. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> so, so this is, that's interesting. So, so you're enjoying this, right? I mean, this is, this is uh, fun work. It's fun. And I'm, yeah, I'm getting to my own, I'm trying to get my own archive done and, and I have an accretion donation going at the museum for, for textual archives, you know, and articles and things like that. So this, this helps, I have the tools to do my own stuff as well, but it's also turned into this kind of fascinating cultural thing. I'm, I'm making friends and I live alone on this island and this has turned into uh, kind of a odd sort of personal identity, you know, people's families. I'm a, I've become a personal historian. So, That's our- great. Wow. So you get to know <laughs> these, you get to, go ahead. Uh, no, I was I've wondered, you know, I kind of hope we would t- steer the conversation this way because we've talked about the, the sort of technical parts, but we haven't talked about the human parts and I'm curious to know more about like, what is it like you, you must sort of have a kind of a weird voyeuristic experience looking at, I mean, I, I don't, I assume you're not looking at every single, you know, thing that that's as it's digitized, but you, you definitely get a lot of glimpses into other people's families and the way they yeah. lived and their, 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 their surroundings and, and, you know, their interior design and like, literally, you know, you get this yeah. sample of, of so much about a person's life by looking at something like that. And I'm just kind of interested in how that, I don't know, how that experience is for you. Their, their annual traditions and the different ways different families do things like mm-hmm. Christmas, things like that. And so yeah. many pinatas, I had no idea. Uh, you know, right. um, just, just things that weren't part of my cultural 
history, uh, you know, I see in others. And, uh, and yeah, it is kind of fascinating, you know, just uh, not even from an abstract level, but just getting to know people. And, and there's a, it creates a connection with every client. It's, uh, I didn't expect that. I, it's not just a crank turning service. It's, it's really personal. And, um, and like, like I said, it's been amazing how many times there are tears involved, you know, and, and, and of course the joke here is that in most businesses, that's a bad thing. Um, but, uh, but not here. So, um, you know, there's... Are you ever surprised by what, what certain people find worthy of recording and versus others? Well, uh, I, yes, I think so. I mean, very often the things I'm doing are their, their father's choice of what to record, you know, things like mm -hmm. that. I'm fascinated by the different styles. You know, there were, back when movie cameras were being distributed widely, there wasn't apparently a lot of, you know, common knowledge about how to do it. So, you know, some of the, I mean, there's, there's so many techniques ranging from really bad. There's one I call the spray paint technique where people just take the camera and they're just doing this all the time. It's like, just slow down. I want some clear frames, you know, stop. Mm, and, then, mm. and, and then the people would use the movie camera just like a still camera. So they would, everybody would pose and stand in a group and then somebody would stand there and film them for 30 seconds without moving. It's like, look, this is a movie camera. They can interact, you know. Uh, but <laughs> the best part of the whole thing with old movies is that it's it's actual life you know you know all those boring photos that all of us have of you know some black and white ancestors frozen in a wall you know with a with a stiff smile okay cheese you know or something like that yeah well with, with film people are they're smiling and they're doing things right so i can go through and pick out a frame where grandma's shooting that perfect little smile at granddad with the camera that lasts like one frame you know and i can pull that out and give that to somebody i'll print it as a greeting card or something i've got a, a canon pro 300 that's it's like having a dark room it's just beautiful and i think what i love about this is a, mo a movie reel is just thousands of still and some of those stills mm -hmm. are so they're, they're as much fun for me as the actual video output um, you, you see a, a different level of of granularity, a different kind of magnification into people's lives than the, than the post static photos that uh, we all grew up with. So, so Steve, are you still nomadic? I, I, on, in, you, do you leave your island uh, on <clears throat> other than on water? I guess you have to leave on water. I'm a technomad emeritus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, am really embarrassed that I haven't gotten off the dock in Data Wake uh, for a long time, like six years. Um, it's in fact, I'm now to the point I'm trying to sell the boat that I'm on. It's a big 50 foot, uh, Delta 50, Delta 50 made for offshore fisheries, you know, back in, uh, you know, in the seventies, it's a really high performance, beautiful, big boat, but I, it's just too much for me to single hand. So I'm thinking of downsizing to a trawler in the, in the low forties. Mm. Cause I, I miss it. I mean, the whole point of this was to be traveling. I do have OPBs, other people's boats. So I have a couple of dear friends who, who took mm. me out. So I get I'm not, not totally static, but it's not like uh, not like the old days. Earlier, you mentioned the museum. Do you mean the computer history museum? Or that's wonderful. It is. Have you you've been there? I've, and not only there, I I co-host a conference that takes place there twice a year. Oh where wow! Our thirty fourth is coming up in April. Oh, so I spend wow. a week. Okay. I spend a two weeks a year there. Nice, yeah, basically. Oh, it's a treasure. I've been. The people are so, it's a labor of love for everybody there. I think it's just an amazing place. 
Uh, last time I was there was 2015. I was I was talking to Google about maybe doing some work for them, and they I took a gaggle of Googlers over and showed them the bike, and not really thinking, I just hopped up, you know, hopped behind the thing and opened up the console and unfolded the system and everything, and one of the docents just about had a heart attack. Do not touch the exhibits. And it's, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> this is my damn exhibit. <laughs> but I can't think of any place in the world I'd rather have the bike. It's just the exact yeah. Yeah. And my first, I have one other artifact there too. I uh, I built an early personal computer in 1974, and that machine is there on the, the wall of Homebrew. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, in 1974, 80, 80, I heard that 80, right. 80. Yep. Does that predate um, uh, Wozniak's? Yes. Wow. It predates Altair and IMSA and all those things. It came to life. I worked on it all summer in 74, and it came to life on October 31st. And, for some strange primitive reason, I started my beard that day. That's, uh, <laughs> so, so was it switches? And I mean, did you program yeah. it with switches? Wow, yeah. like the Altair. Yeah, there was a front panel. And then I also built a little uh, single shot Hollerith card reader. And I used a multi-punch on an 026 uh, IBM card punch to make an image of the bootloader. So I could slide that thing in and then not have to toggle in, you know, deposit next, deposit next, you know. Um, so that would spit it up. And then I wrote my own assembler monitor text editor that I called Simon because I had a business called Cybertronic. Um, and I used it for music synthesis and business and produced catalog wrappers. I had a, my customer database on fanfold paper tape with a read and wow. reader at pinch and good times. Wow. Wow. Uh, graphics with a couple of multiplying decks, uh, driving a scope. A math coprocessor made out of a calculator chip because I didn't know how to do floating point software. So I used Taylor series and slowed to a crawl, but it worked. <clears throat> and all sorts of stuff. Good times. <laughs> how did you get into all this? I mean, uh, going back that far in 1974. Well, a, and that's really be, great, deep geek or shit there. That's really good. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I've just been a, I just loved this stuff all my life. I got into electronics when I was about eight and lived for science fairs when I was in school. And, you know, that was the only thing that really mattered. <clears throat> so, you know, it was just, I always wanted a computer. And when I, I was actually building a 74-181 ALU-based mini of sorts um, before that, and then the 8008 came out. And so I got a, the 8008 data book and said, well, I'll just take a little break, back burn it out for a second and build this thing. And, you know, I never got back to the, to the, to the mini of course so um the, the world the world was changing fast at that point so what was your first store-bought personal uh, computer? i had an imsa and then i became an imsa dealer and then the my, my real workforce machine after that was a Cremenco z2d uh which i i loved and then i used imsas to do a bunch of consulting jobs for like corning and honeywell and various other companies Cremco, you and Jerry Pornell had was, yeah, right. <laughs> I believe he was into those. It was a good machine. Wow. Yeah, the quality was fantastic. The thing was built like a tank. <laughs> <laughs> so wow, that's and, and and do you have any of these still? Any are, are those? They're all. No, I, I used to write about it for Kilowatt and other magazines, but the machine itself, I sold that to a guy in Florida. It was like six thousand dollars or something. I sold it. I delivered it. I literally mm. drove it to Florida to hand it to him. And, you know, it was such wow. A, imagine in today's dollars. 
Uh, is there a, I mean, your, your website, I was looking through it, there's a lot of stuff in it and you've been writing for a long time. Yeah. Um, do you have like the, the master list of everything you've written or is some of it stuck on old, you know, tr real floppies and other things like that where it's going to be a hard time extracting most, it? Most of it's on the server now. I'm still, here. I've still got a few binders of articles and things and a few other bits of this and that that I digitize. One of my ongoing hobbies is to park things on the server. And the way I've been doing it, I know this is a little bit abnormal, but when I find, like I just did one last night, it was an old article in Santa Cruz Sentinel, not, not remarkable, but anyway, it was from sometime in 92. And instead of doing a post dated today to get the RSS feeds and all that stuff, with this article that I found from 1992, I just go change the publication date and put it in the timeline at that actual date. So there's no event that happens now that gets any attention, but the archive itself just gets bigger and bigger. So, you know, you know what I mean? So each, each piece actually has its own original event date or publication date. And that way it's a real timeline, you know, but I'm slow on current posts. You know, this is, say. this is what I've done with my photography. Every photograph I have is, yeah, you know, year, underbar, month, underbar, date. And I realize now the convention is dash instead of underbar. And, but then I have the dashes between the actual text that tells me that this is party, this is Christmas, this is something else like that. So, um, but that's, again, that's the only thing I'm anal about, but, the, but I can sort, I can sort by date. I can search by, right. by a range. I can, I can, I can programmatically approach this in a way that I can find stuff, which is yeah. really handy. I think that's really valuable. I see people do it the other way where they'll do a blog post about something that happened in 1985 or something. And then the blog post, the date of that is just completely irrelevant in the future. That's just some time, yeah. somebody, you know, and it just adds noise. You know? so, uh, the downside is that it doesn't create you know, events that, you know, get clicks, you know, so you know, there's no, um, I don't even, I'm a little out of date on that. So, you know, post adding something to the, to the archive, which is technically a WordPress blog, doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't create any flurry of activity. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I tweet once a day. I have a, a three-year loop that I go through where I chronologically oh, really? walk through the entire timeline. And every day I'll just post the next one on the timeline, you know, and then it, what that does, is it forces me to check it, check the links and make sure that, you know, they're consistent with header types and all that stuff. And it's just my, it lets me do site maintenance without it turning into an overwhelming project. So, so your tweets are a kind of metronome that keeps up, keeps up with your, yeah. the rest of your life. It's a, that's interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, I basically just go, I go all the way back to the beginning and just one tweet a day chronologically. And, and I guess I'm going to be wrapping, uh, you know, catch up with presents sometime in the next three or four months and then decide whether to optimistically go around again or <laughs> so call it a job. <laughs> Yeah, I've been oh, tweeting since 06, but um, but I, I mean I have my regrets about it because I <clears throat> and this is this is I mean we can maybe we could move toward the close with this. Both of us have gone through periods where we were kind of geek famous for mm -hmm. a period of time. Um, you know, you with the with with the behemoth, and I mean you attracted a lot of attention with that. Um, with me, I was I had as many as like you know. 40, 50,000 readers a day for my blog back when blogs were, there were only hundreds of, of right. bloggers that were writers that wanted to write there. And they all went to Facebook or they all went to Twitter and the whole thing, you know, went away in a way. It didn't go away, but it's just kind of like, I mean, I, I still have a blog. It gets, 
I don't blog daily anymore. I mean, and if I tried, it would be, I get literally dozens of readers um, mm -hmm. from that. But I feel differently about it. I feel like, okay, now is it's a more reflective time. It's not, mm -hmm. it's, it's not about the clicks. I'm not looking for, I never had advertising. I never looked for that. Yeah, me either. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if you're going through a similar thing. You're in a, a phase of your life where it's stuff that matters that isn't about fame and recognition. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think so. You know, and the, the nature of readers has really changed. I mean, I'm an old long-form writer. I used to do magazine mm -hmm. articles and books and things. And <clears throat> I complain about, <clears throat> excuse me, I complain about the market not reading long-form anymore, but I'm part of that. I mean, I spend so much time on Facebook and, I, you know, when I read articles, I zip through them really fast and, you know, the world has just changed that way. So I still persist in thinking of that as my, as my publication product, as I suspect you do. And so when I post things on Facebook, I think, geez, I really need to, you know, do a proper article about this someday. But it's, it's you know. And, and if you ever use Medium, which I use less lately, because they say, as soon as you have something that's popular, they put it behind a paywall. So it's like, okay, screw that. Uh, yeah. But but for the longest time, it's like, I, I'll write something and it has, it's like, let's say 2,000 words, 3,000 words. It's a big piece. And it'll say 15 minute read. And then let's say you had, you know, like a thousand people saw it, 200 people you know, read some of it and like, you know, 14 read the whole thing, something like that. You know? And it's like, okay, well, here we go. Oh, I, I miss the, my, my old listserv, you know, the microship status reports or thousands of people you know principal names. We all know, you know, principals, yeah. big companies, all this stuff. I would write every, these updates about what was happening on the project. And at any time I would ask any kind of a question, I was trying to solve a technical problem. I don't know how to do this. These people who were like, geniuses and wizards would write back and help me answer, answer mm -hmm. this had this incredible global community of people who were helping or happy to kibitz at least you know or point out problems but it was this really engaged interaction and i miss those days because you know it's, i mean i mm -hmm. let the, i let that mailing list kind of fade and of course now if i were to take all those names and post to them i'd be breaking all kinds of rules you know you know you can't do that anymore <laughs> you know yeah so, yeah so it's, uh, Even well, it's I miss a, those days. <laughs> Linux Journal was like that. You know, Linux when I first started totally in for like probably that. for probably ten years or so after I first started. Well, no, maybe not ten years, five years. You know, when the comments section of any article was was a conversation about how to make whatever the problem the article solved better. <laughs> and that's yeah. You know, it was fantastic, and it's just it's it's just not and, that. And way people anymore. would take time and really think, and responses yeah. were many paragraphs and well edited and. Yeah. yeah not, not like the threads on Facebook or tweet comments or anything. It's, you know, right, which, which, which have to be brief. And but there's a sort of fruit fly nature to it, to the whole thing. That's yeah, pretty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're, all, we're all just ephemera after it. It all has a half life of a few seconds. You know, it's a, <laughs> and it, 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 my joke about Twitter is, you know, oh, you've got 25,000 followers. Yeah, but so does a parking space, you know, but it engages like, <laughs> so, so it engages 10 cars a day. You know? So <laughs> this parking space is 40,000 followers. Is that much traffic? It gets that much traffic. Well, not really. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, man. Well, listen, we'll, we'll, We'll have to visit this again. I'd love to get you on the other on the other podcast, especially that okay. early, that stuff you just talked about, the early stuff. I realize it's early in the day for you, so that's your yeah. problem with that. Crack it on, like 10 a.m. or something. 
that's even worse. Have you ever, have you ever heard that? It, look it up. Mr. Roberts, it's a, it's a joke of Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers meets the Mr. Rogers and the bass player. And it's it's a it's on YouTube, but it's really better to listen to it than than to uh than to watch it because there was a video that went with it. But it's it's a it's Mr. Rogers interview with the bass player, and it's early in the morning, and 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 Mr. Rogers says, So you like to get up early? Is no, I like to get up, like get up when the sun gets warm about one or two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, and, and, and what do you eat? You know, I, I eat tins of tuna and from a chain store. And it's this, it's this, you know, it's this wonderful disconnect between Mr. Rogers talking to children and an, and an adult musician having a life. It's oh, very, God. it's very, very funny. I won't tell you who does it because they're two actually famous people, but it's so well done. But, the, but my but my point about it is that it's 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 about timing, right? You know, if you love a musician's life, I could, I could move to Europe and then it will be later in the day. For me. That would that would be good. Yeah, I th- that's what I like about um, this the other podcast we do, Floss Weekly, because when I'm on, on the East Coast, it, it happens at noon. It doesn't happen you right know, or noon thirty. It doesn't happen earlier. So so maybe when you when you rebase in Maine or someplace like that, <laughs> some other place on the water, you know, okay. someplace without volcanoes, you know, where you can go, <laughs> go hang it. Someplace that's not in a subduction zone that's going to give you a tsunami one of these days. I look forward to it. That would be fun. <laughs> and a standing invitation if you're out in this end of the world, it'd be great to yeah, see I'd you. Yeah, I'd love again. to. What is the island you're on? Uh, uh, San Juan Island. Oh, you're on San Juan. Okay, I know that one. Yeah. Yeah, Linux Journal was in, in Ballard in Seattle. Oh, really? For, oh, right. for much of its life. Yeah, it was born in Seattle. Phil Hughes' Rick, starter Rick was in, was up Rick there. Rick right? It was on, no, that's Embedded Journal. Oh, Embedded Linux. We had that too. Oh, okay. Yeah. We had, wrote, we had there was an Embedded Linux Journal. I wrote an article for that once about it. Oh, that sounds right. That may be one of the ways we got you on the, on the big boat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I really missed out. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you didn't miss it. You should have been there the times that we went from we went to the theater. We saw the the, the first Matrix uh, as a big crew, the whole Linux Journal crew, which at, oh, at that time was like about ten people in an right. office, uh, all went over to see the Matrix, which I decided was my favorite movie of all time then, and it still is excellent. for different reasons over time. But yeah, I miss those uh, geek cruises. I, I, I miss them too. Better. They were so good. They were so I, much fun. Well, the other that. podcast is doing a, a cruise this year. Of course, I, you couldn't pay me enough to get on a cruise ship right now. But. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love cruises. I love them. I, I did uh, Pearl World and uh, Linux Lunacy and the Java Jam. Oh, really? All of those? Wow. Wow. Excellent. You know, Neil Bowman, who organizes those, still has them. He's got a different name. It's not called Geek Cruises anymore. They're called something else. But oh, he's still yeah. doing them. I, I haven't talked to him lately, but I should ask him how it's going with that. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was a brilliant business model because you get to interact with the icons rather than, you know, normal trade shows. They're all gone. Yeah. The, the separation. The trade shows them. are gone. Yeah. yeah. Well, these are, well, but our trade, our show, the Internet Identity Workshop, IIW, oh. iiworkshop.org, a computer history museum twice a year. So I would um, love to we may I've... have to invite you down for that just, just okay. to show up. <clears throat> I'll, I'll, I'll write you a note about that if I, if I remember. <laughs> so, 
Awesome. I still think we should we should set up live uh, live podcasts from the from your IAW. The next It'd be time. great. The it's next a... time I'm willing to interact with humans in person, which I don't know when that will be. But. Yeah, yeah, we're we'll I'm in see. a ba- I'm in a basement here myself. So you kind of kind of bare. I may never leave my house I... again. I don't know. <laughs> so thank you so much, for, so much for for joining us. Yeah, and uh, this has been fun. Thanks. All right.